And we're back with another part train. It is just Ev and Serm uh, this week. And um, in case, you know, this is one of your first episode, guys. Um, the part train is all about teaching you how to make life less frustrating than your golf game. We feature yep. interviews from PGA Tour pros, teaching pros like Chuck, best-selling authors, CEOs, and more. And you'll learn to laugh through every up and down. Okay, you'll harness the power of the mind. And you'll get back on track both on and off the course. That's what we're all about. But, Cermak, this episode, we could have gone literally for four hours. Well, I think maybe four days with you. You know, we yeah. just would have had to get comfortable. Great episode with Chuck Quentin, PGA teaching professional. We're not going to talk much here. There's not much of an intro. It was uh, fascinating, interesting. One of the smart, smartest guys you'll ever talk to in terms of understanding the golf sport. I think we took a lot from it. Very, very, very cool guy. Yeah, for sure. And then before Chuck we get into you. talking about this interview a little bit and what you can expect, um, since this one was all about getting better, um, I think we should talk about super speed for a second. Um, yep. One of our partner friends, of the show. Partner, uh, do you want to talk about the new super speed C? We've got a separate episode coming about it, but give them yep. a little taste. Well, the super speed, so super speed, great partner of our show. We've got a, a promo code going right now for 10% off on superspeed.com. Their new product is the super speed C. Uh, and uh, it's really interesting. It's, uh, it's, it goes for 100 hours as opposed to the 200 hours for the set of their previous uh, super speed tools. It's all about you know, training your hands and arms to go faster and, and ultimately to hit it farther. And, um, and it's really cool. And I think they're seeing a lot of traction already with the product, with their tour pros. Um, so for anybody, I think, really looking to try super speed uh, and not to you know, maybe spend as much money as they like, check out super speed C. We all need to hit it farther, and the data proves it. Like you know, yeah, this is the perfect time too when you yeah when you're especially now we've got curfews. I mean, it's a crazy quarantine, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, but this is the time to like, yeah, go to superspeedgolf.com, enter the code PARTRAIN, you'll get ten percent off, and um, yeah, improve your swing speed so that by the time you get back on the course, you're bombing it past your friends. Um, and that's okay. the key, you know. All right, let's talk about this interview for a second with Chuck. We just got off. It went an hour, hour plus. We could have gone for 10 more, like you said. The one thing I want to make sure it gets said is Chuck is obviously, like you said, very smart. He, he's all about the science. But I do think that as complex as it can sound as you talk about biomechanics and things, it is rooted in simplicity of using big muscles and making your movement the least amount of movement as possible. Um, I mean, he was, you know, professional and he said like he'd hit 17 fairways or, you know, every fairway, 14 fairways and 17 greens and shoot 75 because he's just not making putts. And so that's why he stopped playing professionally, but it sounds like he hits it as well as anyone. But to your point, I think for the listeners for this episode, it's about five. It's simple because follow a system. Yeah. Follow the system. Don't deviate. Understand the philosophy. Understand some of the mechanics. Understand how to the point how your body's supposed to move and how it's not supposed to move. Yeah. And Ev, what I found really fascinating, he is as a teaching system around injury prevention. Yeah. And, we'll, and we get into some of that in the episode, but that is so important for any level of player because injuries are so prevalent in this game, the amateur level and the pro level. So he's he follow the system. It, it can be simple, like he said. 
Yeah, it's rotary, rotaryswing.com. Um, yeah. My dad is, he, my dad's the one who told me about him. He's been following his stuff for years. And so you'll see at the end, I play actually a funny question from my dad directly from good my to phone. Get Larry, good to get Larry on the show. Yeah, Larry's on the show. But the, one, the other thing I'll say, and then we'll get to the interview because it's a long one. If you're, if you're an amateur golfer, I can guarantee you that Chuck is going to say something that you've been doing wrong maybe your entire golfing life. He said multiple things that I do, whether it's taking one thought and going straight to the range and using ball flight as a way to get to the right thing. I used to always think ball flight determine what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. Also, I was taught things from some of the best teachers in the world that are the single easiest way to create injury, which also blows my mind. He does a very good job of empathizing with the amateur struggles of golf. He's been there. And I think that's really important because some teachers don't get that. And he's played at a really high level too. So he kind of really has, I think, at least for me as somebody who's played at a fairly high level, perspectives that I can respect. You know what I mean? Yeah, so we'll just get to it. Guys, definitely listen to the end. There is no joke of all the interviews we've ever done. I think this has the potential to really change the way you think about your own game in a positive way. I mean, it has for me. And yeah. um, I'm it's excited. Eye, it's it's eye opening. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. All right. Thanks so much, guys. I hope you're all staying safe and well. And um, we'll see you next week. And we're back with the founder of Rotary Swing Golf, Chuck Quinton. Chuck, we've got a lot of fun questions. I'm personally and selfishly very excited to have you on. My dad, I think, is more excited to have <laughs> you on. He's the one who begged and pleaded with me to watch your stuff. But before we get into that, um, I just heard from, you know, before we got on air that you balance pro snowboarding and golf. Why would you choose golf? (laughs) Well, I didn't at first. I chose snowboarding. When I was in college, I started, I had a chance to, um, I, I loved snowboarding and skiing when I was younger. And I had a chance to be a snowboard mountaineer for the North Face, and I was trying to be wow. the first person ever to climb and snowboard down all 54, 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. And so as I started doing that, it kind of started getting some press, and so I started doing some magazine interviews and things like that. Next thing I know, I had a chance to do this professionally as a living, which in college was probably like the coolest thing I could yeah. possibly imagine. So, sure. so yes, I was on a golf scholarship, and when the snow started flying, I was in the mountains snowboarding. And so I got to the point where I was climbing mountains and snowboarding like 150 days a year. Wow. And it was just kind of like, what That's am I going to do? It's kind of hard to do both. And I really loved it. So for a while, I took a little breather from golf and I actually stopped playing my uh, you know, junior, senior year of college, just focused on the snowboard mountaineering stuff. And then I realized they're not paying me enough to risk my life doing what I'm doing. <laughs> so, so golf came back in, but I took a couple year hiatus there. And then after that, I was just focused on golf for the next 15, 20 years of my life. So love that. I've always wanted to have a day where I golfed in the morning and snowboarded in the afternoon or vice versa, but I've never done it at some yeah. point. I do that's, all the that, time. Is that, so that's the dream as a college kid, right? That's the dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, being in Denver, it's so easy to do. We had uh, an area called St. Mary's Glacier, which was only like a 40-minute drive from my house. I lived in western, uh, in west side of Denver. So I would literally go up in the morning. I would snowboard for probably four hours, and I'd come down in the afternoon and play golf till 6 or 7 o'clock at night, and that was just like a normal day. Wow. 
lower body wasn't dead? Uh, I was pretty fit back in those days. <laughs> so much uh, more so than now. I, I can't imagine a better transition to talking from snowboarding to golf than than asking that. You know, I heard from you that most golfers tend to hump the pole or the fire hydrant <laughs> like a dog during the golf take, swing. I, take I want pick. people to know more. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's the, the the term I've coined is the the puppy dog hump and the fire hydrant. And I don't, I think I probably heard that from somebody else at some point. I don't remember, but it stuck with me. But it is super true. Um, most everybody tends to make the same mistakes in golf, which is it's just good and bad, right? It, it's good that it's easy to fix when everybody's kind of doing the same stuff. I mean, I've published dozens and dozens of lessons online of live lessons and swing reviews and all these things. And a lot of the stuff I'm saying in, in a lot of ways, while it may be focused a little bit more specifically to that person, but in general, it's the same common faults. And there's a reason that you look at, you know, amateur golf as a whole, statistically, you can box it in pretty nicely. Everybody tends to swing over the top. Everybody slices the ball. Everybody's stuck at 92 miles an hour. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. About this huge gamut of people, different builds, different athleticisms, different skill sets, but they all do the same stuff. And so the cool thing about it is if everybody's doing the same stuff, then there should be a systematic way to eradicate it, right? So I just kind of look at it as, you know, rotary swing is the vaccine for this pandemic of golf, if you will. Mm. Yeah. It's, so uh, go ahead, what, go actually, ahead. what actually is the hump move? Just so, so people know. Yeah. So basically most people lose their posture, right? You've Got heard it. that, you know, you're losing the tush line or however you want to phrase it, but people's hips move into the ball. But yep. what's cool about that is I look at the swing very differently. Like I'm not, when I was looking at your swing, I talked about how you're losing your posture People look at that and they say, oh, I need to maintain my posture because I'm losing my spine angle. But really the spine angle, whatever your angle is at impact or, you know, at address, and then it's like this at impact, it's just a symptom. But it's a symptom of what, right? right. It's a symptom of a movement that you're doing. If you're, and movement is nothing more than activating a muscle. A muscle moves a bone, set of bones at a joint. And we all have the exact same muscles that attach to the exact same spot that move the exact same bones at the exact same joints. So if somebody's humping the pole, as we called it, Evan. All, there's only one way to do it. <laughs> I'm humping it's the pole. all the exact same stuff. So if I'm, you push off your right leg, that is what moves the pelvis into the ball. And that's what causes everybody to lose their posture. So then you start extrapolating a bit more. So now we can say definitively black and white, people who lose their posture do this because it's the only way to create that movement. So then the question is, why? Right? Why do people all do the same right. stuff? And this is the conundrum of golf. Most everybody that plays is right-handed, right? It's our dominant hands, what we do everything in our daily life with. Most people, if you ask them to cut a steak or brush their teeth with the left hand, they'll stab themselves in the eye, right? It's just, we don't have that coordination of the left right. side of the body. It's just the nature of the game. But when you understand the, the physics of the swing and you understand rotational forces, centripetal and centrifugal force, it all becomes super clear and when you start doing things pushing from the right side your dominant side you end up in every single swing flaw that every single amateur has when you come over the top it's right side activation it's right side pushing when you cast the club you're activating your arm and your wrist it's the right side that does that when you pull and i've done this you know countless times on videos with students in real time where I'm like you know people who cast the club everybody casts the club right that's why they're stuck at 92 miles an hour i'm like okay Take your right arm off the club and just swing right now with your left. And instantly they look like Sergio Garcia. Now, why is that? It comes right. back to just basic pushing versus pulling and physics concepts. So 
the good thing is everybody does the same stuff. The better thing is it's easy to fix this stuff once you understand what causes it. Well, Chuck, we're, we're definitely going to want to get into some of the mechanics and the philosophies and some of Evan's, you know, problems here in a little bit. But, <laughs> but Chuck, for the listeners, you know, you played five years on the mini tours um, and you competed with some of the best players in the world. When it was time to give up the expensive habit, as it's known as, <laughs> as it's known as, yeah. what, talk to us about what drew you to become a golf instructor um, and a very successful one, might we add. Um, was there a specific moment or an experience? Um, time yeah absolutely I, I was just really pissed off I was frustrated you know yeah golf is a is one of those things it's a very love-hate relationship for everybody right it affects it affects everything yeah. that you do and you feel and the way that you act towards others I mean it's crazy how it impacts us but that's what makes it such an amazing Great sport point. we passion doesn't even begin to describe to describe how people feel about the game so I spent, you know, after I graduated college, I was determined to make it as a tour pro. It was my dream as a kid. You know, I used to yep. be spinning out all night in the evenings, practicing, putting, and imagining I'm, you know, on the 18th hole at Augusta, just like every other, you know, talented young player. So I yep. wanted to see where I could get, see how, and I knew that I could make it. I knew that I had the work ethic. I knew that nobody would outpractice me. I knew that I had the athletic ability, not that it really required that much, quite frankly. I just needed the right information. And so I started trying to take lessons. And I didn't have, I grew up unbelievably dirt poor. So lessons weren't an option for me growing up. But once I got out of school, I started to be, have a little bit of financial success. And I'm like, I'm going to take it and start investing in my golf game. So I started going and trying to find golf pros. And I ran into the same thing that I'm sure you guys have ran into and you've probably heard a million times over. I know I've heard it thousands and thousands of times that you go and you start really taking your game serious. You start investing, you start taking lessons and what happens? You get worse. And that's exactly what happened to me. And, I, and nobody could explain to me why. And, the, and what really frustrated me more than anything is that I would go to one instructor and I would commit to them. I would work on what they would say and I wouldn't get any better and ask them you know, what's going on. And, he couldn't really give me an answer and then I would get frustrated. I'd go to another instructor after a year and, and then I'd be told the exact opposite of what this other instructor said. So right. part of me is like, oh, that's why. So now I'm buying into this guy, right? When I yep. go through the same thing and now I can't break 82 days in a row. So I'm like, well, that was an, another year wasted and thousands of dollars. So I go to another instructor and these are like top level guys. Right. Right? And, and, there's, and there's thousands of them. <laughs> There, there's a ton, right? Yeah. So I kept going from, you know, year after year, trying different people. And then I, I would go to one guy and he'd just be like, oh yeah, no, your swing looks great. You just need new clubs. Oh no, you're just doing this. You just need to imagine to push the, push a basketball back with your belly button, like all this nonsensical stuff. And I finally just like, you know what? I literally had this conversation in my head. This is my head. This is my breaking point. I said, you know what? None of you guys know what you're talking about because this is how could we be so inconsistent how could you say one thing in one magazine page and literally on the very next page butch or david or whoever is saying the exact contradictory opposite like 180 degrees i'm like this is insane this is really insane and so i yeah. finally said dude i don't work like this like i have to understand the underpinnings i need to know how stuff works Otherwise, I won't buy into it anymore because I don't trust anybody now with golf instruction. So I'm like, I'm going to figure this out for myself. So I yeah. said, all right, blank slate, what am I going to do? So that was the, the birth point of me taking my own approach to starting from scratch and, and looking at the swing objectively. But just like everybody else, you know, there's no, there was no map for this. You know, it's like, where do you start when you're trying to 
come up with answers to the golf swing that people have been trying to come up with for a hundred years, right? right? So as I started doing that, as I started diving into it, I just used my own swing, my own body as a guinea pig. I spent more hours in front of a mirror than you could possibly ever imagine and more so that I should ever admit to. But at some point, I had this idea that I should start sharing my ideas and seeing what other people thought. And so I started this forum for discussion and all these people liked what I had to say. And next thing I knew, they're like, Hey, you should do a DVD. And I'm like, what? I've never been on camera in my life. Speech was my worst class in college. The last thing on earth I want to do is be in front of human beings. It's terrifying. There's no way. But I ended up doing it with a buddy of mine who was another well-known instructor who had who was helping me at the time with my swing and he was on the golf channel and all this stuff. And yeah. we did this DVD together. And then the next thing you know, people loved it. And they said, Hey, you should, you should do more. And so I kind of got to the point where I had this little fledgling business thing kind of going on over here, but I was really interested in it. And then I had my tour, my playing career and I'm like, maybe I can just do both. So I did, I did that for a while. And then as the business started to grow and I started becoming more successful teaching, and I had more of a passion for trying to understand the swing than I did actually for playing because all I really care about, just to be flat out honest with you, is hitting the ball. I don't give a shit about putting. <laughs> I, don't, I just well, don't care. It's yeah. not fun to me. You kind of joked about that in some of your videos and been vulnerable about the, that part of the game. That's, that's great. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. I mean, part of it is because I'm a terrible putter, right? So right. I've just never been a great putter. I, every part of the game, I just can't read putts it's for whatever reason. I just don't seem to make putts, right? Yeah. But I love, I love, love the, the golf shot. of a pure <laughs> golf shot, man. I mean, that's, yeah. it's as good as it gets for me. It's, it's, I derive pure pleasure from it. So I'm like, you know what? If, I, if I'm playing professionally, I already hit the ball great. So all I got to do is spend 90% of my time on short game and putting. And quite frankly, I just don't want to do it anymore. I don't mm-hmm. want to spend all the time on the putting green and hitting three footers and compass drills and all of that. It's just not fun to me. And sure. when I got into golf, golf was supposed to be fun, right? It was a game that I loved and putting and short game stuff. I actually have a good short game, but putting, I just don't care for. And I'm like, it just kind of kept moving me more interested into the side of delving into the swing mechanics, because as you guys have probably noticed, I'm pretty analytical. I'm an inveterate yep. tinkerer. And so this just became an obsession. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I actually realized that, you know, Hey, I actually like really helping other people understand this because it's something I'm passionate about. And mm-hmm. if you're passionate about something, you want to share it with other people. And so then I kind of came to that crossroads. Do I keep doing something I hate working on putting all day, every day, or do I do something that I love? And it was a no brainer for me. So that's when I finally said, you know what? It's cool. I'm done. I mean, if we, I mean, you guys would be one hell of a scramble team because Mr. Cermak <laughs> up top here has one hell of a short game. He actually gave me a short game lesson before a member guest. I took a train out to Chicago to see him before a member guest in St. Louis a year ago. <laughs> and it, it was like a game changer. Um, so I'm in. You just let me know where to be. Yeah, and Chuck swings about perfect with his line. So, you know, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we could do something. So, <laughs> Chuck, I can, I can empathize with everything – you said um, in regards to, you know, I've been to some of the best coaches and I've had multiple lessons and I got to a point after trying, um, I went to George Genkis twice. I was trying all of his stuff for over a year and a half and I just couldn't, in the mirror, it felt right. In the mirror, I understood it. 
yeah. at the lesson I understood it. But by the time I got to hit the ball, I couldn't execute it. And so I got to the point where I was like, all right, let me just turn on the video and try and figure out what can help, like what can help me and try and figure it out myself. Um, but before we get into me, because I got a lot of stuff I want to dig in on, <laughs> how would you define for people that haven't seen any of your stuff before? How would you define rotary swing? How would you define your methodology and how it's different? Sure. So basically it comes down to kind of four main tenets. One is biomechanics. And I hate using that word because quite frankly, it's, it's bastardized. It's used a lot. Industry, yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. when I was first talking about biomechanics, I was like the, the, you know, the black sheep, right? But you don't talk about that. Golf is all about feel and everybody mm. digs it out of the dirt. You just figure out your own way. And I vehemently disagree with that. So to me, biomechanics really comes down to just understanding how the body is designed to move efficiently and to produce power efficiently. So I was pretty lucky early on that I was able to hook up with somebody who was a, a, one of the, the main PhD, senior PhD biomechanist for the U.S. Olympics Committee in Colorado Springs. So this guy was a geek like me. He loved understanding the biomechanics of it. We did tons of research together using force plates and grip pressure plates yeah. made out of insoles, like all kinds of crazy stuff. So we were geeking out on all this stuff together as I was trying to formulate my ideas. And when I was at Castle Pines, he was in Colorado Springs at the University of Colorado. So he and I got together all the time while I was teaching. And so understanding the biomechanics of the swing is really just understanding about efficiency of movement. How is the body designed to move? And, and you guys have gone through this stuff and you've taken lessons and you probably do something and you're like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Or maybe it feels painful or uncomfortable. And that really it should, is a huge red flag because the mm -hmm. number one thing that I look at when I'm looking at every aspect of the swing is you know, the second tenet of rotary swing, which is anatomy. How are you going to prevent injury? And that's something that nobody cares about until it's too yep. late. Yep. Nobody cares about injury prevention, even though I've been preaching it forever because it was personal to me because I had a lot of injuries from the instruction that I received. So I was having all kinds of hip pain and back pain and knee pain and foot pain and all this stuff. And I'm like, why do I hurt only when I play golf? Mm. I can go jump off a 30 foot cornice on my snowboard onto ice and feel fine, but right. hitting a ball with a stick and I can't walk for three days right. You know, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And nobody cared about that stuff except for me because it was hurting my body, right? Right. So anatomy, understanding that, and I, and I started doing a ton of research and I found from the National Golf Foundation that the PGA Tour average injury rate is 81% miss nine weeks of play for a golf swing related injury. Now wow. think about that. 81%. That's a no lot of care. money being left on the table to earn. I mean, it's just unbelievable. That's, unbelievable. That's a crazy stat. Wow. It's unbelievable. And that wow. data has been out there for, for years, but nobody paid attention that. to that. And I look at that and I'm like, oh my God, like this is me. I'm, I'm a statistic. I can't play consistently day in and day out because I'm sore. I can't practice. I'm getting injured. And then wow. of course, you know, playing on the mini tours, you, you see a buddy once every three weeks because he's injured too. Right. And you just yeah. kind of see these trends happening. And then in amateur golf, it's worse, right? Because they don't have any proper mechanics in most cases. They don't have a clue what they're trying to do. They're not fit. They're not practicing consistently. They don't understand the imbalances. So injury prevention is absolutely at the core of everything mm. that we do. Mm. The third thing is physics. 
you can't fight the law of physics. But no matter what, people try. They, they think that they're going to outsmart Newton on this stuff. And really, at the end of the day, there's very basic physics. You've got leverage. You've got angles that you create that produce power. You've got rotational forces. And that's it. And when you understand that stuff, you understand how to produce speed efficiently. And if you produce speed efficiently, then you reduce the risks of injury when you're leveraging biomechanics properly. So these three things all work together as one. And then the final thing is, is neuromechanics, or it's a fancy word for just saying how the brain learns a new movement pattern. My undergrad degree is in psychology. So this is the part I actually care the most about. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I can tell you all of this stuff and you guys will intellectually get everything I say. You're smart guys, you know the swing, you're gonna get it. But how do I get you to do it? And mm. that is the magic of rotary swing because we do That's what I'm here for based on how your brain actually learns. And so that I actually hooked up with got a book if you're somewhere, Dan Coyle, who wrote the book, The Talent Code, New York Times bestseller. And I read this book and I'm like, this is it. This is the way that people actually learn new movement patterns. So I hooked up with Dan and I said, I want to build my online teaching platform based on the research that you did mm. on how people actually learn. So that's in a long story oh. short. Those are the four key components to what Rotary Swing is all about. That, no, that, that's great, Chuck. Um, so for a visual for the listeners, you talk about tiger swing and being very close to the, the, let's say the ideal version of rotary golf. Now, Chuck, which of tiger swings? Yeah, exactly. And arguably six. So yeah. take, us, take us through that a little bit as we all certainly Ironically, it's not one that people really think about in terms of this specific era of his career. Like people like to look back at the 2000, 2001 stuff and there were great things in his swing there. And really when you look at it from a mechanic standpoint, there, there's tons of great stuff in his, in his early 2000s swings. Yep. But through that phase where he started transitioning and starting to refine his swing and reshape things and go through changes as he moved from-, from with, with Haney. To thinking about stuff with Haney. In, in between that phase, that transition phase, is really where he started to move really efficiently, but he was also doing things with swing plane and grip and, and things like that that I disagreed with. That, but those are variables of the swing. Those are not fundamental. Swing plane is not a fundamental of the golf swing. Swing plane is simply a, a byproduct, a symptom of how your body moves. So that's really what I'm concerned with. So people look at what he did with Haney and like, oh, you know, he, he struggled with his driver and so on and so right. forth. Totally true. But that had nothing to do with the fundamentals of how his body moved. And so he was better that, with his irons too. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. So there was a bunch of stuff going on there. But really in that mid-2000s phase is where I feel like he really moved best. He, he was most uh, leveraging his, his mechanics to produce power efficiently. He was also protecting himself from injury. And then, of course, you guys have probably seen, I, I did a video in 2010 when he made the switch to his next instructor, and I was pretty critical of that because I, I knew for certain that he was going to injure his back, and unfortunately, he did. Yeah. And, and that's when things really started going off the rails for him, yep. in my opinion, anyway. Okay. So, so go ahead, Ev. I just want to talk about this. I feel like what you're describing is something I've struggled with for probably – my whole golfing life. I, for context, I played baseball my whole life and then I broke my arm, stopped playing. And the first place I went when my surgeon cleared me was the driving range because <laughs> I never played golf because it made me drop my hands in baseball. Um, uh, yeah. And I feel like inherently now after playing golf for over 15 plus years, I probably fight baseball um, 
muscle Very memory. Common. But I think there's, there's, a, there's a vicious cycle that I've noticed. There's two things. Number one, thinking and working on too many things at once. And two, trying to isolate with like, like for example, with Genkis, I would, he told me to do half swing drills or drills with no ball, right? And I would do them over and over. Just like you, Chuck, I have no problem going to the range every day and practicing because I'm passionate about, you know, about being good and, and being and getting better. Um, however, that never worked for me because the minute I was going to actually hit a ball, it didn't translate. And so I want to, I want to hone in on the piece you said, which is learning how to do it. Cause I think those two things have tripped me up my whole career. Yeah. So that's, unfortunately, that's probably one of the biggest diseases in golf, right? We, we get over, there's two main problems. First of all, people who chop wood. And what I mean by that is mm. you know, wood stands for swing thoughts that work only one day, right? If you're constantly chasing one thing to the next, you go to the range and you're like, oh, okay, I hit that ball right. What did, what did I read the other day in that magazine? Maybe I should try strengthening my grip. Maybe I should try tilting my shoulders. Maybe I should try shifting my weight. That's chopping wood and that is insane, right? That, that leads to disaster. But then you start juggling all of these swing thoughts, right? Our conscious level thinking, we can really only, and if you can ask your spouses on this, if you need confirmation, gentlemen, we can only think about one thing at a time, right? And when it comes to the swing, you're literally moving almost every single muscle in the body. At some point or another, they all, they all have to engage, they all have to fire, they have to happen in a certain sequence. Now, that sequence is really simple when you understand it from the inside out. But when you're trying to do 50 different things, and first of all, you have no idea if those things apply to you because you have no idea what is really going on in your swing. So then all of a sudden, you just start chasing your tail around in a circle and you go from one swing thought to the next and that doesn't work. And what do you do? I'm going to YouTube tonight. I'm going to go find something else that works. or I'm going to go to look at a magazine or whatever it is. Have right? it. Have it. <laughs> It is, it is the absolute definition of insanity in golf, right? And now on YouTube, yeah, gosh, truly. There's, you've got your smorgasbord of, of choices, right? You can choose 50 different things. But again, every, there's still this main idea that nobody has, there is no one right way to swing. So you just got to dig it out of the dirt and find it for yourself. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't have that kind of time to just try 50,000 things and hit 1,000 balls a day to see what works for me. So you've got, first of all, you've got that whole cycle of just, this didn't work, let me try something else. This didn't work, let me try something else. And the second problem is most people want this quick fix diet pill, right? Give me a pill and in 30 days I'm going to lose weight. It doesn't work like that. Nothing in your life that you've ever successfully learned worked by taking a pill, reading a tip, and, and all of a sudden that you're, you're good at it, right? You have to understand that there's a For process sure. to improvement. It doesn't matter what it is. When I learned how to become a pilot, they didn't let me land the plane the first day, right? It took a while before I was competent enough. I had the skills to do this, but I started step by step. I had to understand, okay, landing a plane is procedural. I, gotta, I have to know my airspeed, my approach, all, all of these things that you do, and the same is true in golf. If your setup is off, I don't give a damn what your swing looks like at the top of your backswing because you've already set yourself up in such a way mechanically, physically, structurally, that you're going to reverse pivot if you don't have access to it at setup or if you're way over here, you know, a million things that people make. But the good thing is if you just start at step one, right? And that's rotary swing is six specific steps. And it's really just three because all I really care about is getting the body to move correctly, get you set up right and understand how to rotate and load muscles. Cause that's all we're trying to do at the end of the day is recruiting muscle fiber. 
That's what moves everything. If you do these three basic moves right, then you start stacking pieces on. But you can't just go to the top of your swing and say, oh, well, my pinky is like this at the top, so maybe that's causing all this stuff when you haven't looked at the structural stuff, the setup, your axis tilt, your rotation, your tilt, all of that. So that's where people just get lost. And golf is, I don't know how much more of a sport you could possibly get lost in than golf and feel like you're in the wilderness and just have no clue how to get back. All the time. Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody goes through. And that's really what led me to be as passionate, because I felt the same way. I mean, I'm taking a lesson with Brian Mogg, and my whole lesson with Brian, and he's a great guy, he's a great golfer, but he was the last golf instructor I ever worked with. He was the, he probably doesn't know this, but he was the catalyst for Rotary Swing <laughs> because I went and saw him. I paid him my 230 bucks, my discounted tour player rate. And he said, your swing looks just like Tiger's. And he brought me into the clubhouse. He put me on TV, showed my swing up and you know, plugged it in there. And it's like, oh, dude, this looks great. This looks great. All you need is a new set of clubs and to imagine that you're pushing a two by four back with your belly button. That's what? interesting. What? I had no clue what that meant, right? And that's the other problem with instruction in general. It's very vague. It's open to interpretation. Well, what you feel pushing a two-by-four back with your belly button could be done with your arms, and to me it might be done with this, and who knows, right? I don't like stuff that's gray, that's open to interpretation. So he said, you need a new set of clubs just to get fitted. I'm like, okay, what do you recommend? Well, he was sponsored by Nike at the time, so guess what clubs I was (laughs) It's it just continued brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And obviously fitting clubs does not fix the mechanics of the swing problem. So at the end of the day, when you want to learn something, you have to have a pathway. I believe no matter what you're trying to do in life, it, it, take golf outside of it for a second, you have to have a vision first. You have to say, this is what I want to do. I want to achieve this level of success and whatever it is I'm doing. And you have to know exactly what that looks like. In golf, you have to have a vision of what a swing should look like what are the goals with it i'm trying to be safe i'm trying to be powerful i'm trying to be efficient i'm trying to be consistent i want to have as few moving parts as possible that's my vision i know what it looks like then all i do is create a plan i have to know what is it going to take for me to achieve that vision so with rotary swing i know exactly what i want the swing to look like i know exactly what the body should do i know how to do it safely that's why we have a medical panel that helped create all of these ideas with about the swing and then we set out a plan plan step one setup and rotation in the backswing that's it if you can get that right then we can move on to step two and so on so we have a plan and the last thing is just take action on that vision plan action if you have those three things and you can achieve success no matter what you're trying to do and that's how that's how i've created my businesses it's how i created the swing model but you have to start there and then just take it piece by piece you can't take the whole bottle of aspirin you have to know systematically this piece must fall into place before you stack this piece and then it's just building blocks but you can't take the quick tip diet pill approach and that's what a lot of golf instruction is today unfortunately for sure so chuck how do you balance then what you just mentioned of using your plan and your touch points of what it should look like to set yourself up for success versus becoming obsessed with how it looks right because i'll admit you know, I, I set up a little camera when I hit and it's, I love going back and, you know, I'll turn back to the camera. You saw me when I sent you my video, I put a thumbs up so I can look at what did I do in this swing that had a good result versus not. But sometimes I get down to the deepest, darkest hole when I obsess over video. Yet you also need to 
to your point, have a plan and see how you're tracking. So like, how do you balance video versus obsession with having the perfect swing? And, so, I mean, and video is video the enemy. Video and mirror is the most valuable training aids in the world. It's, in fact, it's the only training aids that you need. But here's the thing. And Evan, you, you've fallen into the same trap that everybody does. Um, I'll tell you a quick story about every student I've ever given a lesson to. And I've given over 10,000 in-person lessons. And at least a quarter of these have all started off like this. Well, all right, <laughs> I'm going to video your swing face on and down the line. We're going to sit back and talk about it. Okay. Well, I have three different swings. Chuck, which one do you want me to use? And I say the exact same thing every single time. It doesn't matter. They're all going to look exactly the same. So just do whichever one you feel like doing right now. Couple swings. Without fail, they all look exact. No, no, no. Well, let me do. I didn't. Let me try this one where I feel like this sometimes. Okay, go ahead. But it's still going to look exactly the same. Feel and real have nothing to do with each other. Mm. At least initially, when you're trying to make changes, right? You have to rely on what you see. So understanding that a mirror and the video camera is the best weapon, but that's useless if you don't know what you're looking for, right? So when I looked at your swing last night, I spent all of 30 seconds analyzing it, and then I just ad-libbed it from there. Now, in 30 seconds, I was able to see things that make it impossible for you to consistently hit the ball, especially as you went into longer clubs. I see a two-way miss in there. I see shots coming off the toe because you didn't understand the importance of your structure. When you're losing your posture, all bets are off because your spine angle is the primary dictator swing plane. As your spine angle becomes more upright, your swing plane and, and uh, horizontal swing path shallows out. As you become more hinged over, your swing plane and path become steeper. So you have steepening and shallowing moves in the swing. And when you don't understand that, then it doesn't matter what you look at on video because what are you looking for? What you're looking for is symptoms. You look back on the camera and say, that was a good shot. And you're like, oh no, that one went left. And this one went right. And you're signaling to yourself, but if you measure them and quantify it, every single swing was within a degree of each other. You didn't fix the problem. You're just addressing symptoms. And that is the most frustrating way to work on your swing. Because if you're relying on ball flight, I can do anything I want with a golf ball. I can manipulate it to hit it left, right, high, low, whatever. I can always cheat things. And even as, you're, as an amateur golfer, you can do things to manipulate ball flight. But if you're trying to chase ball flight, you're just chasing your tail in a circle because you will always struggle because you have fundamental flaws that are destructive to what you're really trying to achieve. So you have to understand, and that's really, rotary swing, I kind of look at it as like uh, maybe a, a goofy way of describing it is like, I'm the Home Depot of golf. I'm going to give you all the tools to understand how to teach yourself how to build your own house. You have to then take that understanding and learn. You have to understand. I don't want people to rely on me. In fact, my, my biggest goal in life is to have people join Rotary Swing and kick them out as fast as humanly possible because I trained them. I taught them what they need to do, what they need to understand to be self-reliant, to be self-dependent. I am a total DIY guy. I want to understand how stuff works for myself, and I want my students to understand for themselves so that when they look in the mirror, they know exactly what they're looking for. They know exactly what causes a, a bad shot, and they know exactly how to fix it. And then I hope to kick you out and never see you again because you're out playing great golf. Chuck, is, is one of your immediate goals when you get a new student to really figure out what type of learner they are? I mean, in layman's terms, you know, feel versus analytical or visual versus like, because Evan and I were very, were very different, you know, and, and so and with your background in psychology, I'm, I'm interested, is that key right away for, indivi for individual learning? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And ironically, the answer is probably not what you expect, because obviously there are different ways that people learn and understand things. Sure. But at the end of the day, everybody has to learn at least the same fundamentals. And that's really my goal. You have yep. to understand the core. What is it that really matters most in this swing? And to learn that, you have to go through a couple of different things. One, you need this intellectual knowledge. I need to explain to you what it is I need you to do. I need to tell you exactly why, black and white, in science, why it needs to be done this way. And then I need to tell you how to do it. Sure. The way that I do that is both through communication, through word of mouth. I'm explaining this stuff to you for the intellectual learner, the analytical guy. But I'm also showing it to you so you can see it. You can understand. You can put your swing up next to mine in the analyzer and, and look at what you're doing versus what I'm doing. So you have to work with all of these aspects. You can't just pick one or the other. You, sure. if you, you know, I have a lot of guys who say, I'm a field player. I, I don't, I don't, everybody's a field player at one level or another because we all rely on field because we can't see ourselves swing when we're hitting the ball. So of course, everybody's a field player. But right. the people who just turn that off and say, no, 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 I don't want to know about mechanics. I just need to feel it. You can't right. learn through feel because you have no idea what you're actually doing. So you have right. to have a balance of both. It can't just be one or the other. So let's, let's use an example. And so I want to caveat before I get into this, because Cermak's making fun of me. And I don't <laughs> want to make this just about my swing, but I, want, but I know a lot of the flaws that I have, a lot of people have. And yeah. so I want to try and dig in on a couple details that I think will help a lot of other people. Um, because when I hear it, you know, to, to what you said, Chuck, I have that same disconnect of like, well, how exactly do I get there? Right. So like, let's start with rotation and creating a powerful move with your left side, because for me as a baseball player, I, it's very hard for me to wrap my head around not using my right foot and my right side to really drive. The, the old squish the bug drill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, a lot of my dad players. would say. Um, <laughs> so how do, how do people use their left side? to sure. create a powerful move instead of pushing off the right. Yeah. Well, first of all, understand that anytime you're doing rotation in the body, you're using pairs of muscle, right? If you're pulling from one side, and that may be the dominant source that you feel, you're still pushing from the other. You know, if I'm pulling from this right side to turn my head, I'm also pushing from the left. I may feel one more over the other. Again, mm. why you can't rely on feel. In the downstream, when you're learning to move from that left side, to use the left hip to pull and clear the hip out of the way so you actually maintain your spine angle, you're also pushing from the right. But they're different balances. The problem is, if you think about it on a, on a scale, most people push from the right side 100% and pull zero. Right? That has to be swung on the other side. So you've got to swing the pendulum back to the left. But it's not that you can't use the right side to push as long as it's pushed correctly and understood what you're doing. Now you start running into a whole other gamut of issues when you start talking about injury, when you're talking about pushing from the right side, because that's what creates side bend. And then side bend is, in my opinion, the number one destructor of golf swings on the PGA Tour. And there's a lot of golf, I mean, there's videos out there of instructors on YouTube literally telling you to get more side bend and get your shoulders as steep as you can. And I'm like, just forget golf for a second. Just put yourself in that position and tell me how that feels. You don't need to be a biomechanist. You don't need to understand anatomy. Just do it for yourself. And does that feel good for your back to do it 50,000 times? Point. It does feel terrible. This is not easy, to, easy just, to teach, but what about you doing it, right? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So 
Now, the other thing about this, and this is, I, I call this the, my, the, the biggest mind trick of rotary swing. So you ask like, how do I learn to pull, you know, use this left side for power? Well, understand, I don't like that word power per se. In the golf swing, it's all about speed. But speed is really about leverage. I'm, I'm looking for force multipliers, not how fast can I move my hips? My hips relatively don't move that fast, nor does any PGA Tour Pro on average when you measure it. If you look at the averages, it's about, and you can't, you got to understand rotational speed, but you kind of can break this into miles per hour. If you take a, a long hitter, Hank Keeney back in the day or whoever, I had, I had a bunch of data on him. That's why I'm mentioning sure. it. Their hand speeds at impact on average are about 18 miles an hour. Now at 18 miles an hour, the club is moving at 115, right? I'm so there's a lot, of, a lot of force multiplier that's going on for the club to be able to move that fast. Now, how mm -hmm. fast are the hips moving? Or more importantly, what are you told on by every TV pundit? Turn your hips as fast as you can. The faster you turn your hips, the further you can hit the ball. I went to TaylorMade Performance Labs and proved this completely dead wrong, that I could not move my hips at all and only lose, I don't remember the exact numbers. I did this study like 12, 15 years ago. But it was a, like... I lost maybe 5% of my total speed. Now, hmm. I, it capped me because I don't have the big muscles to, to create speed, but turning your hips insanely fast, what it typically does is not only hurt your back, but then your hands don't release the club in time. So then you actually lose club head speed. So there's a balance between all of this stuff. So long story short, understand the greatest mind trick of this is that when you're doing it right, when you're doing rotary swing right, it doesn't feel like you're moving at all. That's the, probably the number one thing I hear is like, it feels like I didn't do anything. That's the best mm. words I can ever hear from a student because it's about effortless power. And if you want to have right. effortless power, you have to stop putting effort into it. You have to understand how to leverage mechanics. Yep. And it's really simple when you understand it. So don't think about trying to move your left hip powerfully. Try to move it in sequence and move it efficiently and then use leverage to release the club with speed and use centripetal force to create speed from the shoulder rotation, hip rotation, and so on. It's a compounding effect. So in this example, then, is there sometimes, are there ways to then, because then it goes back to like the overcorrection and the training, right? If I'm not used to using my left side is for all those people that have their heel up on the downswing is a good thought to then keep your right foot down yeah, as like a degree. way to have to move your left side. Like, are there little hacks you could do that way that can help you feel it? Oh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on Slippery your toes slope. here. Slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna you, <laughs> I hate the word tips. I hate golf tips with a passion. But there are <laughs> fundamentals to what you are saying there. So I'll give you that, right? And I actually have a video on the site that literally says, here's, not, here's the hack to keeping your right foot down. It's not yeah. called it. <laughs> here's the role of the right foot in the swing. Yeah. Right? Here's what you want to do with it. Does that right foot, most people when they do what you're talking about, they can kind of make that overcorrection so they swing the pendulum way back to the other side. They stay flat-footed. Now they don't shift their weight because they're like, oh, I need my right heel to stay down. But they didn't learn how to move from the left side correctly. So mm. now they're just flat-footed and they're not moving their hips at all. That's a really common overcorrection, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't do hacks and tips and fixes and things like that. You have to understand the fundamental piece. You have to learn to move from your core properly you can't just band-aid fix it i don't do band-aids okay. got it drills are better than tips <laughs> yeah so you mentioned the side bend that this was a, a perfect example of you know how you go to one coach and then you hear the opposite i mean when i went to gankus twice 
and every video is about getting here. Yeah. And I literally used to think that if I don't see both my butt cheeks at impact, that I'm not rotating. And when I first tried, now granted, you know, when I first started your dead drill at the range, the first thing I was feeling and working on was feeling like my chest stayed back down the line. And I actually thought that exact thing you said, which is I felt like I wasn't rotating at all. But my irons, I was hitting my irons better than I had in years. Um, Obviously, I have more to fix to get to the woods. But um, talk about that side bend with what you see with these pros. And and there's like an obsession right now with shallowing out and rotation, which leads to the the side bend. And I know Cermak struggled with injuries in his back. I mean, I think it's important to talk about because this is like a new trend, especially on Instagram right now. And, and Chuck, before you go in, it's, it's the, this idea of what a modern golfing should be like, Evan and I were talking before the obsession with Dustin Johnson, the obsession with Matthew Wolf and some of their uh, crazy athletic abilities, not everybody trying to just copy them. Well, that's the nature of the beast, right? That, that's my clinics. I've done, you know, clinics for many, many years. And I, I do clinics very different than most golfers. Two-day clinics, golf clinics, six hours a day. The first three hours are spent all indoors. Lecture, slides, explanation, understanding. It's all education. And then we go outside and we start implementing what we talked about in the morning. Most people you go to a golf clinic expect to be out of the range all day. We spend about 30% of our time on the range actually hitting balls and 70% teaching. We educate, right? So to go back to what you're saying, when it comes to side bend, the bottom line again is it's black and white. I, and, I, and don't take my word for it. Take one of the, <laughs> our neurosurgeons from our medical panel. Dr. Mitch Suppler, he and I sat down, did an interview. I put it on YouTube. Nobody cared because they don't care about injury prevention until it's too late. And I said, Mitch, what is the number one thing as a famous neurosurgeon that you operate on in Orlando, Florida, on golfers? What causes the injuries that you see? Bulging discs, all of this stuff. He's like, it's simple. If you create rotation and flexion, you have side bend. And that's how you herniate a disc. It's exactly how you do it. If you were purposely trying to hurt your back and herniate a disc, compress a disc, pinch a nerve, then I would tell you to turn your hips and bend over to the side. And I guarantee you, you keep doing that enough, you're going to get injured. It's just a numbers game. It's math. At some point, most everybody, and again, statistically, 81% of the tour pros, and this, this data from the National Golf Foundation is actually from I would say it's maybe 20 years old. That injury rate, I would say, has gone up dramatically for exactly the reasons that you're talking about. I mean, look at Jason. I don't follow golf anymore. I haven't watched a round of golf in probably eight years. But every now and then, you know, my students post something on our Facebook group or send me something like, what do you think about this? Like, I literally have no idea who's even on the PGA Tour anymore. But but somebody sent me something about Jason Day and said, you know, this was written last year, I think. And he's like, hey, I think I'm going to retire by the time I'm 40. Are you kidding me? 40. Yeah. I mean, this is unacceptable yeah. and it's yeah. so freaking easy to see. And, I, and I've done videos like this and I post them like, oh yeah, he's going to get injured. I, Rory McIlroy, I said, oh, did that guy's going to, he's going to have a rib injury for sure. Sure enough, like a year later, he's got a rib injury. Tiger. Yep. It, it, this is stuff is not, I'm not some like guru or Oracle. This is just basic biomechanics, anatomy 101 kind of stuff. Sure. But instructors don't care. And you know what's crazy too? 
obviously injury prevention is something I talk about a lot. And even on our, our Facebook group for the dead drill, I still have people, you know, if I put something up on the injury, they're like, Oh, I don't care. I would do it. If I could make a million bucks. When you think about it, people are totally willing to sacrifice their health for a dollar. It's just the nature of mentality today. Right. right or for, or for some sort of period of success. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Look as at, somebody I mean, who is yeah, doing that right now, so right? as hard as he can put on 30 pounds, <laughs> <laughs> the end result's always going to be the same, right? You, you can't cheat Newton. You can't cheat your body. Eventually, you're going to have to pay the piper. And so when it comes to side bend, it drives me crazy. It's preventable. You could, you could save Jason Day's career. It could have saved Tiger's career. All of these things are simple stuff to understand. That's why I have a medical panel of neurosurgeons because I don't, I mean, although I actually know way too much about the spine, way more than I should because of my own, I've had four surgeries on my spine from a mountain bike accident. But understanding that stuff is really the the part that's missing in golf instruction. And this is where I fault the the PGA of America. If you're not teaching teachers how to teach right, then you are at fault for people getting injured. I think it's culpable. If you are, and look at the injury rates. I mean, you can't deny this stuff. It's statistically significant, hugely significant. Yeah. So if people aren't taught how to prevent injury, then should they be culpable for that? I think at some point, and given our litigious society, I'm shocked somebody hasn't been sued already. Interesting. I mean, it's going to happen. PJ Tour guys can literally go back to their coach at some point with a neurosurgeon, a biomechanist, and a, and a physical trainer and say, this guy took 10 years off my career. That's a $20 million pay cut I took. Hmm. And all I had to know was what this guy said. At some point, I, sw- I know it seems insane because it really is. But I bet it happens. Hmm. And this stuff, the side bend stuff, again, that's yeah. going to be, I think that'll be one of the most common things that you're going to see people keep doing, keep teaching, and getting more and more people injured. I played in college, Chuck, uh, and played Division One, and I had, a, I had a back injury. I had a red shirt, you know, and it's hard to recover. I had tightness in my hips, you know, kind of really dealt with it ever since. So, um, Chuck, wanted to, as we kind of talked about some of the, the mechanics there, as we kind of talk more about playing the game a little bit, when do you start uh, teaching players how to shape the golf ball? And I'm curious, in your mechanics there, so it's a combination, but um, talk, about some, talk about that. Trajectory and shape. Actually, I actually do it really quickly. Um, so, and the reason is not to have – shot shape control over the ball when you're brand new and learning how yeah. to hit. What I'm trying to help people understand is club face control and where that comes yeah. from, right? Club face control comes down to the left hand. You're pulling here. Yeah. A little bit of shot shape here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. You're changing the flight of the ball. So I'll actually have people hit pitch shots when they're, you know, lurking out doing like little nine to three drills to kind of get the core movements down. And I'll say, okay, I want you to try and release this club a little bit more and check the release position of the toe in your three o'clock position. And then watch the ball flight. A 30-yard shot can curve easily, sure. right? Oh, yeah. You can see it chip. curve. Yeah. A chip now curve. change trajectory. Yeah. Hold the release off a little bit. Look at your release position. What I'm trying to do is help people understand the relationship of their body to club face. Because most people have no clue, right? Because they start releasing the club early with the right hand. And then they've, yep. they've, they've sent the club off onto a, a, an orbit, a trajectory that they are no longer in charge of. You've pointed Newton in the direction, hopefully just pointed him in the right direction, and then it's just all bets are off and you hope the club face just squares up magically for you. When you understand how to control the club by moving your body first, your body controls the arm, the arm controls the club, the hand controls the club face angle, I want people to understand that right away. 
low shots, high shots. So we actually do that in like in our clinics where we're taking somebody who's really trying to rebuild their swing from scratch and we're doing these little tiny baby shots. I make sure. them do it right away. How do you draw the line when you're teaching with your students, right? So of working on an hour on the range of getting your perfectly over the right shoulder or actually spending an hour chipping out of bad lies and learning how to score. How do you blend that? In, because at the end of the day, I imagine your students wanted to shoot lower scores. So when I, was, when I was still playing professionally and teaching at the same time, there was a much bigger emphasis on scoring and understanding the, the mental side of the game and course management. I love course management. I love to play chess, like real chess. And golf to me is just a big game of chess. I love strategy. I love trying to uh, understand what was going through the course architect's head when he designed this hole. What was he really trying to get the player to do? How was he trying to mess with their eyes? Those types of yeah. things I love, right? But at the end of the day, as, I've, as my career has transformed into what it is today, I've really become more of an exclusive ball striking coach. People come to me because they want to learn how to hit the ball. Got and it. I think that part of that is just my own mindset and mentality. I love ball striking. So people sure. are drawn to that. They love the way watching me hit balls and love my swing. So they like, I want to swing like that. In fact, that's how I picked up most all my tour pros as students when I was younger because <laughs> I was just, I was playing on tour and they watched me hit the ball. I'm like, I want to do that. Right. So I don't spend nearly as much time doing that stuff as I used to. I teach people how to move their body and that takes up all of my time. But I still do a little bit, but it's really become such a small piece of my you know, teaching curriculum anymore that yeah. I love it. But most people are just so fixated on hitting the ball. And because that's my passion, I love helping them. Sure. Yeah, you kind of have a fi – your finish reminds me of Payne Stewart, actually. Oh, so yeah. You your swing is soft and just kind of rolls around. Well, yeah, I, I like it, to relax with it. <laughs> so, and it's good for you to kind of decipher for our listeners about kind of what you built your school around. But I, I, as somebody who played at a high level, not as high level as you, I never did play in the mini tour, you used to play with guys who would shoot 68, 68, 68, 68, and finish 10th. Yeah. So how did, and you saw what great players, how they putted, right? Because can you talk about us? Because it does relate to amateur play and any player, because, you know, we want to go out, we want to shoot good golf scores and it starts with the swing, but talk about how, what you learned, because I watched some of your videos, you talked about Jack Nicholas and understanding how to putt and how, how do those guys get in the zone out there? How do we find, how do you, to shoot, you know, whether it's 85 to 80, right? So there's kind of a different, different ways of thinking about it. At some point or another, it really comes down to just, I call C4, but really we'll leave the fourth C out of it. But the first, the C4 just stands for four different things that I kind of base rotary swing around and, and golf around to me, right? The first one is consistency. You have to be a consistent golfer to ever have any prayer of scoring. And consistency starts with the simplest machine you can possibly build. The simpler, uh, the fewer moving parts I can have in my body, the more I can practice by not injuring myself. That's how I start getting that first one, the most importancy of consistency. Consistency leads to the second one, which is confidence. As I'm confident when I'm stepping over the ball and I'm not thinking, oh God, I hope I don't hit it over there. Or oh, every time like I play this hole, I <laughs> blast it out over here, right? We all do that. We all, but when you're confident, when you're stepping up over that ball because you know you're consistent, now all of a sudden things are starting to come together. And that leads mm. to the third C, which is control. At the end of the day, if you're a golfer, to some level or another, whether you admit it to yourself or not, you're a control freak. You want to have absolute 100%. control over that little white devil, right? It's, it's what we play for. 
the ability to hit a ball with a stick and hit it so hard and so far and make it fly perfectly true at a target with millimeter level precision it's addicting it's it's a control thing and so when we when we put those three c's together that's what leads to scoring so to me it's not just like oh well if you just work on your short game all day you're going to be a great scorer to a degree that's true but are you going to do it day in and day out and this is where when when in my opinion when tiger was at his absolute peak and people used to talk about all of the things that they were, you know, when he was still really secretive and didn't really talk about anything. And everybody's speculating, why is Tiger so good? Why is he dominating? Well, the first one, in my opinion, was that he was just moving less than everybody else. So you guys asked, like, when I thought his swing was really, really good, his iron play in the mid-2000s was unbelievable. He was just doing less. He was more efficient. And if you're more efficient with your body movements, you have fewer things that can break down. That's why he was can there I, week in and week out. Can I... Can I just, I'm not challenging you. I just, I'm no, go curious. Ahead. This is fascinating. How is he moving less than Ernie Els in 2000? Well, you look at really simple just stuff. Kidding, right? Yeah. No, for go sure. Ahead. So if you look at Ernie Els, Ernie has always had two things in his swing that he's always struggled with. From a ball flight, a symptomatic perspective, it was hooks. He always struggled with hooking it. So now that's the symptom. What was the cause? Two things. One, Ernie always has had a bad habit of hanging back off his right foot. When you hang back off your right foot, you're going to start flipping the club because your path is going to be stuck. You're going to come from the inside and you're going to start saving it with your hands. The second thing is Ernie always let his right elbow fly out away from him a little bit at the top. Not bad, not like a Jack Nicholas yeah. flying right elbow or anything yeah. like that, but you compare it to Tiger who's like this, right? That's just that much extra movement that you've got to make up for at some point because you don't hit the ball like this at impact. So as you add extra movement and you hang back, I look at that, you may look at Ernie's swing and say, oh man, it's super smooth and buttery. And I just look at the mechanical structure of it. It's like reading the matrix, right? I'm like, well, that's going to yeah. need to be made up for down here. And that's going to be made up for over here. He was actually that's, moving more. That's, well, that's, that's fascinating, right? Because you're kind of, when you're talking about two of the great players of our generation, some of just a little more moving parts, right? A little more looseness. And Ernie Hell is one of the greatest of all time, if we're comparing it to the greatest of all time, right? Yeah. Well, I, Fascinating. It's yeah. it. So when you, when you, when you move less, you, you become more consistent, right? That's why boiling it down to just the fewest moving human parts possible is at the core of rotary swing. Cause I want you to be consistent. You become consistent. You have confidence. You have confidence. You can control the ball. Now you can yeah. score. And that to me is what it's all about. I mean, think about it this way. Tell me, let me ask you guys a question. Cause you guys, I'm sure still play a lot of golf and want to score well and all that stuff. I don't, I'm past that. I just want to go out and crush the shit out of the ball every time. <laughs> That's all I care about. I, I mean, I've probably hit on the mini tours. I have to have the record for the most greens and fairways in regulation with the highest number of putts and highest scoring average. I, I saw probably you hit that in one of your 17, videos. 17 greens and still shoot 75. Well, a lot of people still want to get there though. So like <laughs> That's true. But, but let me ask you this. So you go out and practice and you're going to, it's going to be a, a, a practice day. So you're going to go there, you're going to hit some balls and then you're going to go practice putting and chipping, right? First of all, what do you do first? You probably go hit balls, right? Most people do. Secondly, if you don't hit the ball well at all, do you go practice putting and chipping afterwards? Probably Most not. people don't. <laughs> right? Because that's what matters most is how you hit the ball because that breeds into every single other aspect of your game. If your ball striking is under control, and you warm up that day and you're going to go play with your buddies, you'll probably spend twice as much time on the putting green just getting a feel for the speed because you don't have to worry about your ball strike. That's my goal. I want your ball striking to not be something you have to think about anymore. You don't have to practice it. You sure. don't have to work on it. I mean, I hadn't worked on my swing in like six years because I hit the ball great. So if I'm going to go yeah. play, I'm just going to go to the putting green. I'll literally hit like six balls and be like, all right, let's go to the first tee. That's yeah. the goal to me. 
Evan, are you internalizing this? Yeah, I mean, Chuck, <laughs> what you described almost is exactly, I've talked about it on the show numerous times of, I try to get to a point where I feel like I know where my miss is. And, you know, I've, you saw my swing, you know, I've been as low as a five handicap with that swing. Um, and some days I'll be, I'll go weeks and months shooting in the seventies and then I'll go a year with not breaking 80, you know, and I always wait to see, I try to get to that consistency point. And then once I feel like I'm, I know where the ball's going, that's when I move into confidence and that's when I move into scoring. So it's, 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 I've never really heard it said that way, but that's, that's an interesting way to put it. I, I do want to talk about tempo for a second because you brought it up with um, Ernie and actually I have a recording from my dad who uh, I had to make sure I got a question in for him because <laughs> okay. he's been a big fan of yours for a while. So you tell me if you can hear this. Okay. Um, it's about tempo. We'll see if we can play this. Oh, actually, I should say before I play this, I think the tempo of the way he asks the question, he might want to internalize that for his swing because <laughs> I'm just going to put it at that. Your swing is so smooth. Can you give me some tempo tips on what your recommendations would be on the different checkpoints of your swing? That's okay. Larry. Did you hear that? So, yeah, I heard <laughs> it. <laughs> So, Love it. so let me explain what, what, what tempo is really in the big picture of things. When people have a tempo or a rhythm that feels fast or out of control, explain to me what you think that is. What would cause a tempo that feels like the swing? And you felt like this before, like where the club's just kind of running away from you and you're just trying to kind right. of hold on for dear life and hope to God that hits the ball square, right? What causes that? What causes a, a, an erratic or fast tempo? Well. You guys got any ideas? I'll give you a chance. To Arms? Answer. Yeah, exactly. I, what can well, I was, I was going to say um, uncertain thoughts creates, okay. creates right. and, you know, not confident. So at the end of the day, it comes back down to really simple math. Your arms and hands have way more fast twitch muscle fibers than your trunk. Simple, right? So what can move fast in the golf swing? Your arms and hands can move wickedly fast and your trunk it can't move very fast. And I explained this on the website. I have a video called the dump truck and the drag racer. That's good. Right? I like that. The dump truck, big, heavy, can move a lot of stuff, lots of torque, but it ain't going that fast. And it's definitely not accelerating that fast, right? But if you think about it in terms, you guys probably know I have, I have a big race car racing background. So we have to tow the race car to the track, right? It has a finite source of, of fuel. It has a finite ability. It can't drive over potholes. Like we have to only use it where we need it. But the big truck towing it to the track with all the torque, the big diesel engine that can pull all the weight, that's your lower body. It can't move that quick. But at the very, very end, we want to let that drag racer go and unleash the fury, right? We want to let that speed happen. But it can only happen very, very late in the swing. What every golfer on the planet does is they fire the drag racer right from the top. And as soon as you do that, I don't care who you are, you're going to have terrible rhythm and tempo. If you look at Ernie Els, his hips moved really, really well. He had a tendency to hang back, but you watch, he had this beautiful weight shift, a big pelvic turn. It was all driven by his lower body. And then the club and hands released at the bottom. So long story short, if you want good tempo, you want good rhythm, move from your core, move from your trunk, because then you can't move fast. Your arm, I always tell people on the backswing, big, big body turn, tiny little arm swing. 
you don't need to load up your arms. That's where you run into trouble because at the end of the day, your brain uses muscular tension as the signal of when to refire a muscle, right? If you start pushing your left arm across your chest and the back, something like most people do, loading up this left shoulder girdle, which muscles are going to fire first, right? Mm -hmm. You can't change this. This is just basically how your brain is wired. You need to be loading up your core so that that fires first, and then the drag racer fires later. So tempo is really, again, it's one of those things that's really abstract. You look at somebody like, oh, he's just you know, born with natural rhythm, born with natural tempo. I, I don't like that. <laughs> I need to be able to quantify it, and I can. Sure. I want to quantify it by saying, what's really moving? What's the primary right. mover? Where is the origin of movement? Where is he moving from? Because to me, the golf swing is, is not like art, right? Art to me, people look at it and say, well, everybody just interprets art differently. Art to me is just science that you don't understand. Hmm. If you look at a piece of art, there's a reason that it, it elicits an emotional response. You may not understand it, but it is triggering certain neurons, certain neural pathways in your brain that's releasing endorphins, it's releasing different chemicals, it's creating a chemical reaction that elicits emotion. That's just science you don't fully understand. The golf swing is not art. It's black and white. It's very simple to understand every single golf swing and every single movement that goes into the golf swing, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I think that this, Larry's going to have a nice understanding. Evan's dad there. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to work on. Well, uh, Chuck, we want to get you out of here, here pretty soon. Um, I guess for our following, for our Instagram followers, you know, they're going to listen to this or they might check, check you out. When they go to the range tomorrow, what do they need to be thinking about, right? How, uh, what's, the, what's a step forward for them besides signing up for your site, you know, and, and, and learning more about you? But what, what's the takeaway here? There's only one path to improvement. That's the takeaway. If you're going to learn anything, if I was teaching you how to play the guitar, are we going to start out with Beethoven and Bach or Mary Had a Little Lamb? You have to learn the fundamentals. You have to learn key position, chord positions, the, the, the construct of what music is. You don't start out trying to play something, a complex piece. Your brain simply can't do it. And that's where people make a mistake. If you're going out to the range and you're, you've read a swing thought, or even if you've watched one of my videos and say, oh, that makes total sense, I'm going to go out and try it today, you're destined for failure because you can't learn going full speed, full power while trying to do something new. I always explain this like driving a car. How many, did you guys learn how to drive on a manual transmission or are you way younger than me? I did not learn stick. I was, I was on yeah. automatic. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, automatic. I know how to drive a stick, but I didn't learn on one. So most, like, oh. most old people like me learned how to drive on a, on a manual gearbox, right? Now, when you did that, where did you learn? You learned in a parking lot with no distractions, no traffic, no people, because learning how to slip the clutch and give it enough gas to keep from lurching and stalling and so on was hard at first. Now, you may, once you learn that though, you could go back 20 years from now or 20 years later and still be able to drive a manual transmission. You have physically constructed that neural pathway and you've myelinated that pathway. You do that incrementally. You do it systematically. You do it progressively. Yeah. So you go from the parking lot to a country road. That country road, now you're driving, there's other people around. You learn how to go to a stop sign without panicking. You drive on a little incline. And then you go to the Indy 500 the next day, right? No, of course not. That's stupid. But that's what people try to do. They try to go from right. a parking lot to the Indy 500, and then they wonder why they stuff it in the wall at turn one at 230 miles an hour. Of course you're going to do that. You have to learn through the exact same way that you've learned everything else in your life. Golf is no exception. It has to be progressive. 
And people, if they don't want to hear that, they don't want to listen to it, totally get it. Everybody wants a quick fix, but just know that you're going to struggle for the rest of your life. That's great. I, mean, that, I, think that's that's a, is, I think that's, that's a great, great way to end it. Anything, yeah. I think everyone should go to rotaryswing.com. I know you're on YouTube as well. Um, thanks so much, Chuck. Is there anything else you want to send people to or any last plug for you? No, I, I don't need to do that stuff. I just, I just want people to get better. You know, At the end of the yeah. day, this the is reason that, that I do stuff the way that I do is because I've been right where you are. Right? Yeah. I wanted to play great golf at a high level. Yes, I've been lucky to win some tournaments, but I've blown way more tournaments than I've won. I've had way more damage to my body that's permanent. You know, I'm 44 now and I have, I have no cartilage left in my left hip because I used to hit a thousand balls a day with bad information, bad instruction, pushing from the right side, damaging my hip, tearing my labrum. I have all these injuries and those who think that that stuff, you know, won't catch up to you, you just got to know realities. You know, your body is finite and you've only got one shot at this. Yeah. So just, if you do nothing else, just learn how to protect your body. So at least you can enjoy the game for the rest of your life. Even if you, you know, you don't want to take the time to learn a proper swing, even though it's way simpler and easier and faster to do it right than it is to do it wrong and way more fun. I mean, it's, I don't know about you, but I'm not having any fun if I go out and slap the ball all over the place. I'd rather not play golf at all. So yeah, I know if you that. want to do it right, just take the time. It's a small investment, right? You take the time, you take yeah. whatever it is to do it right now, to build a foundation, and then you're building this for the rest of your life because that's the point of golf, right? This is truly a game for a lifetime. And if you do it right from the beginning, then you can enjoy it. And, and my goal for all of this is I've thought through all this, what do I really want to achieve with rotary swing? I want to help a million golfers break 80 for the first time, but not just break 80 for the first time and consistently shoot in the seventies. And that's totally achievable. When you look at our Facebook group and all the posts yep. in there and stuff, I mean, it's nuts how many people, we had a guy shoot 62 and he's going out on the senior tour this year. I mean, Jeez. all by just doing the dead drill stuff, by simplifying their movements, by understanding the big picture. Don't just take one tip and say, oh, I'm going to try this. That's so crazy. Understand the swing for what it is as a holistic view, a 30,000 foot view, and then just start biting it off piece by piece. Don't take the whole bottle of aspirin and you'll get there. Awesome. Love it. Love Thanks it. so much, Chuck. Thanks, um, Chuck. This was great. And uh, everybody go rotaryswing.com and start getting better. That's it. <laughs> All right.